This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,566, recorded August 18th, 2000. I will be reading tonight from the second book of thirds. If you can ever stand far enough away from yourself, you'll see what's really going on. You, in other words, will wake up. Thus, and still other order words, being asleep is standing too close to yourself. Okay, then, all right already. Then in other words, tell me, what can you do about the situation? Answer, force your thoughts to return over and over again to trying to see what the mind is when it is engaged in thought. When this is done repeatedly and without getting grossly entangled in its Cyclicality. <laughs> Jesus. When this is done repeatedly without getting entangled therein, then what I mean by standing far enough away from yourself will eventually become clear, at least for the many second necessary. Ordinary minds have a firewall that is their protection. Yep. Minds have a natural firewall that is the that is for the ordinary protection, but for the few it is nothing but trouble. And it is this, the trouble that is. As long as the mind is serving as a passive medium for thought, it can't ponder the nature of thought. So, in additional, even additional, even additional other words. The mind totally taken up by the thoughts that automatically come to it stands far too close to itself to ever gain any working knowledge of itself. A mind can have a native kind of intelligence, can even be learned and have a memory bank of facts. Yet the more it stays engaged in thinking, the further it stays from any comprehension of itself. Such as a normal mind, such as a sleeping mind. And speaking of such... Such talk as this nudged one man to ask a mystic. So, is intelligence and being enlightened truly two different things altogether? Which seemed, I'm sure, to be a reasonable and intelligent question. Yet, if I may speculate, the mystic was too enlightened to respond thereto. <laughs> Even if the two are as far apart as I am hinting, anyone enlightened would be too intelligent to any longer even have an interest in such meaningless inquiries. The intelligence that comes with enlightenment renders one dumb concerning any talking about it. <clears throat> well, that is obviously, <laughs> with this exception. See, it's like this. The opening gambit is for the mind to try and see itself, but eventually, as long as the mind is trying to see itself, it cannot see itself. See? The power behind the throne that drives the mind's consciousness upon examination proves to be something that operates outside of its consciousness. And intense scrutiny reveals that the hidden source is not in some subconsciousness of consciousness, but rather all over the body. But it is rather all over the rest of the body that is not a part of the mind's consciousness. Consciousness is the dummy. Every other aspect of you is the ventriloquist. 
And in the same way that all parts of the body work as a unified whole, so too are the dummy and the ventriloquist inseparable, and their distinction an illusion. Yet there is another step to this. Your ventriloquist is a dummy, and the rest of life, it's ventriloquist. Ordinary minds look to other minds for an explanation of life. Those wanting more, those wanting more quickly realize that they should, that they should be looking at their own mind. If they persevere, and Venus doesn't get all entangled in Mercury's orbit, a man with the interest will eventually realize that his study of the mind, which is, of course, in simple matter of fact, his mind's attempted study of itself, leads nowhere, tells him nothing, and is a vain endeavor. For one reason, the machinery that runs his mind is not located in the same place his mind is. All of the interesting and meaningful operations concerning the mind occur off-site, which explains the impossibility of the mind ever understanding itself. I say that some way you've got to get away from your mind. You have to change your position and relationship there too. But hey, how hard can it be? Look how little room there is in your head. If a particular, repetitive, useless effort is described to a mind and it asks directly about it, the mind will say that assuredly the effort will eventually be seen as futile and abandoned, or at least the weariness of repeated failure will gradually cause its forsakening. And the mind would seem to be on solid ground with this view, yet there is one instance common with man in which this most reasonable expectation totally breaks down. Must I tell you what it is? Am I obliged to put into words the one example of men relentlessly giving themselves over to an endlessly repetitive and totally useless effort? Well, at least I don't guess a hint would do you any harm. <clears throat> it's something that the mind doesn't have to look far to see. The endless circling of a carousel disturbs not the wooden horses thereon. Neither is the mind bothered by, even aware of, its own similar situation. Thus it is that two creatures are not rendered dizzy and disturbed by an endless circling. Wooden horses and men's minds. You can forget about the old cliche, it is wrong. It does not take two to tango. Nope. Not hardly. A man asleep is already so close to himself that he might as well go ahead and have a dance. An endless dance. And now a phalanx of facts, some apparently obvious, some obviously obscure. If you stay too much at home, it becomes too familiar. No one has any place to stay except home. Staying at home will get you nowhere. Everyone is most comfortable being at home. The more you stay at home, the dumber you become. A man feels most secure in his own home. Safety and stupidity can quickly become one and the same if you stay at home too much. 
addendum, allowing your mind to act as a passive medium for whatever thoughts present themselves to it, is what is meant by staying home too much. If you're ever going to see this affair all the way through, you've simply got to put some space between you and the thoughts flowing through you. Stand back there, folks, and give the man some room. Can't you see that one of the dancers is trying to extricate himself from his partner's frenzied death grip? Come on now, stand back. Same as he's trying to do. And finally, our last verse. In line with some of tonight's modeling. A man does not wake up suddenly in Buddha land or some other magical locale. He wakes up right in the middle of a meaningless mental dance step he was having with himself. <laughs> Beginning to catch on starts to interrupt your dance. Actually getting to the bottom of things takes you off the dance floor itself. Said floor being all of the thoughts which hold you so seductively in their all too familiar arms. Uh, ergo, the struggle to awaken is a search for the fire exit. I don't know who can tell for certain that I show up here. I don't always hold it up. But it has numbers on it that go correspond to dates for the year. I typed this in person only a few hours ago. But who here is prepared to say that I have not brought one that I typed and wrote 20 years ago and simply put a new number on it? And don't tell me you know, because I don't know for sure. I sort of know. But hey, that's all anybody knows. You remember... Yeah, I told you about Big Al that I go by and talk to sometimes. I have, or was it Big Ed? I know who I mean, but I forgot what I told you his name was. I was hanging out with him today, and he said that he had been watching the political conventions, the two major ones that have been covered on television, the Whigs and the Tories, the Socialists and the Communists, or whoever they are. And he said that he caught himself sitting there and sarcastically remarking to himself on the unseemly, nay, idiotic enthusiasm and passion of the people out on the floor in response to political figures, candidates, Hooping and hollering, waving, bands playing, confetti flying, balloons falling. And Big Al said he caught himself sitting there looking at him thinking, God damn, what a bunch of moronic cows. These are not humans. People with suits on, with brains of bovines. But then Big Al said he suddenly came to his senses, if I may say as I'm sure as best Big Al can, but said he suddenly caught himself and thought, Nay, Big Al, you shouldn't be saying that. Because he said he realized that compared to him and his sort, and he considers him our sort, he said it suddenly struck him that compared to our sort, he thought, Nah, I shouldn't be making fun of them. 
because here's what he said. He said, it struck me at least they pretend that something's important. I think I'm beginning to have a good effect on him after all these years. See, because what he was insinuating was, of course, him laughing, which is understandable, scoffing, sniping, sneering, at people shouting, jumping up and down, waving their fists in the air and all that about, you know, if only Bob X will be elected prime minister or president, my God, things will be much better. And if Fred Y gets elected, and we're all in for a two or three bushels full of woe to each and every man, woman, and child in this fine country of Finland. And Big Al, of course, insinuating that he by now has a strong suspicion that such is not the case. That all of this is window dressing. That life is up to things that we do not know about that the mind cannot comprehend. And so, on that basis, it suddenly struck him that there he was, sitting at home in his more enlightened boxer shorts, with his more awakened beer gut and remote, laughing at these people who went to all the trouble, spent thousands of dollars probably apiece, to fly to Philadelphia or Los Angeles, stay up in hotels, damage their kidneys and stomachs over a period of days, and then show up there and scream and holler and wave and punch each other as though this is important and this is meaningful when Big Al said that he knows damn well it's not. And yet then it struck him. But at least those people, at least they pretend. Who do you think life is most proud of, assuming life's proud of any of us? Uh... As much as I say and insist that the only proper, quote, way to awaken, to approach it, is the turning of one's mind on itself, or if you prefer in childish terms, the study of one's own mind, not the study of my writings, not the study of anybody's writings, not anybody else's ideas, not mountains, not holy spots, not trees, the liberated figs on them, not holy canyons, not sacred mountaintops. One thing, and one thing only, and that is your own mind. Plus, I say that's the most fun, that some of the best fun you can have. But what I also would like to point out, whether you've heard me or not, I was going to try to make it clear tonight, if you persevere in it, I, and you're lucky, as I said, and that Venus and Mars do not, or Mercury do not get their astrological orbits entangled and, of course, muck up the whole affair. And, of course, assuming that you didn't live a previous life as like a banker or an insurance salesman, then if you persevere, I say that the day would come that would strike you that not only have you been on the correct track compared to everyone else, but that you have also been on the incorrect path. I'll change incorrect. 
but I don't have anything to change it to. So consider I change it to something. Another modifier instead of incorrect. I'm not sure what. I don't know one, but it, I changed it to something. And it's on this basis. It just seems obvious as hell, and if you don't watch it, your own thinking will say, well, hell, that's been pointed out many times by even non-mystics. And that is, if you keep studying the mind, which is an absolutely daunting task. Anyone who doesn't understand, anyone that you could say, well, studying your own mind, attempting to just come up with any sort of basic information about your mind is almost an impossibility. That would be a test, to say that to anybody that you thought was intelligent. Anyone who does not understand that so well that they'd probably do nothing but just you know, shake their head in agreement with you. Maybe roll their eyes up in their head you know, and go, Phew. Anyone who does not understand that in almost every molecule of their body does not understand anything. Because most people, even though they do not engage in an attempted study of their mind, if you, if you said, if you insisted to them that the study of one's own mind paid unbelievable dividends, and they went, okay, sounds right, and you went, and I have been there involved, so involved over a period of years, and I want to tell you, you know what I found out? And so they said, what? And you said, I found out. <clears throat> that the most explanatory word I know from my efforts or, or for that effort is that it's impossible, that it can't be done. You do know that any ordinary person would say, either to you or to themselves, that that is absolute foolishness. Just absolute. Because right at that moment, the, their mind would try to reflect on itself and go, oh, yeah, okay. There it is. I can do it. And if this man standing in front of me said that he's been working on it for 20 or 30 years, and he said he has finally come to realize that insofar as gaining any, just a small piece of actually usable, practical knowledge about one's mind, it's just an impossibility. There's nothing else to call it. It just can't be done. You do know that the other six billion minds on this planet we just dismiss that. I'm saying that it takes an exceptional person, I guess, to realize it. In one sense, you can realize it within a period of seconds that it can't be done. Except it seems to be a matter that you have got to have done it for a matter of seconds over an infinite number of times, for an infinite number of times over an indefinite number of years before it really hits you what's going on. Every time I try to write about it and put it actually down on paper, and I think, well, this is so obvious, of course, I know what I mean by this, but I think, well, this is so obvious and straightforward that if I say it or if I read it this way, most people, even the best of you, unless you're on a real good night and you're already about half enlightened before you got here, that you'll hear it and you won't hear it. That it just sounds so obvious that in a sense you go, yeah, yeah. So what was the point? And that was the point. Your mind can believe that you have 
a sizable cache collection of facts, observations about your mind and that I don't know that there's any way that your mind could be disabused of that notion directly. But I'm telling you, it's not true. There's only one thing that a man can say that he knows about his mind. And that would be that I don't know anything. And no ordinary person with an ordinary mind will say that. They cannot say that. It's not possible. They would say, well, if I said that, I would be lying. And they'd be correct from their view. They could not say that that's the only thing that they know is that they know nothing. At any rate, what I was getting to tonight, that if you don't watch it, it will slip right by you also. I already wrote it and read it, but here it goes. If you keep looking and you finally realize in your own way, and I've said it as plainly as possible, and you realize that in spite of years and years of observation, maybe you attribute some up to listening to me and things I point out, and then you looked at it and you thought, well, that's true, I hadn't noticed. So you've got all of these unusual pieces of information, collection of facts, observations about your mind, and one day it strikes you that they're meaningless, which amounts to not knowing anything. They are absolutely meaningless. And your mind, surely, unless you've completely gone crackers on me, your mind, hearing that right now, in essence goes, I don't understand that, or in essence rejects it. But here, as always, is a good dirty question, if you can handle it easier. Well, I'll do it again. I was going to say it may be easier, but it's not. That's why I hesitated. But it's to ask yourself, all right, even if all my observations are valid, and if he is wrong in saying that they're useless and I don't really know anything, if he's wrong and all these things I think I do know, Let's assume that I do know them and they are actual pieces of information concerning my mind. Then there's another way to look at it, which I got to admit is just a slip, slippery, but it's this. is to ask yourself, okay, if that's true, what good's it done me? How has it changed my mind? That's just as tricky. And the answer is it hasn't. But try, under ordinary conditions, to let your mind digest that, and it won't. If you get a glimpse on your own, for begin to get a collection of glimpses of what I mean, that you don't really know anything about your mind. It is truly an illusion. It is a mass illusion. I guess it was called a mass hallucination. If you come to grips with that, then you're faced with this. Well, I'm going to present to you this way. That if that be the case, and if you realize it, but if that be the case, then all attempts to understand the mind by looking at the mind, if they are, you know, have come to naught, and you have persevered sincerely, religiously, so to speak, for a number of years, and it has produced nothing. It's produced a lot of apparent somethings, 
But then you realize the apparent somethings are meaningless. They're simply words strung together. They mean nothing. Then we're faced with this. Then whatever it is running the mind is outside the mind's ability to comprehend. That the very forces driving consciousness, fueling consciousness, that is the spirit, the life of consciousness, lies beyond, lies outside of consciousness. Now, this is the part that's easy to just say, well, that's already been talked about for thousands of years. But I do not mean now, in the sense, like in the so-called Freudian sense, that we have a subconscious mind or subconscious consciousness, subconsciousness, that is composed of things that were once conscious and for various reasons we have you know, denied and finally driven from our consciousness, refused to deal with them. Well, we know all the classic things like that your father mistreated you so that you can't stand to think about it. Or that your mother mistreated you so that you drove it out of your mind and nowadays that may be why you have such a hard time dealing with women. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Because that's an illusion also. That's the same illusion as I don't know myself. Whatever it is that's responsible for consciousness, whatever is running it right this second, that is running the conscious part of the brain, is obviously not located on site. Again, I repeat, this is no secret, and not just in the Freudian psychological sense, uh, the neurology. Uh, for years and years, they keep adding to it, so they say. But uh, for years, it's been fairly common knowledge. It's been a hundred years, I guess, of observation. And now actually attempts, you know, them plotting once they got people's brains open. But the point is that there's no secret to the fact that all sorts of activities are going on all over our body, not just the brain. It's all over the body, then gets up to the brain stem. And there are all sorts of things affecting consciousness that they readily admit. They state as fact that there are all sorts of things affecting consciousness that do not originate in consciousness. I mean, it's obvious. If you lean down, you're talking to somebody and you lean over on the car and put your hand on the hood while you're talking to them, and it's fairly warm. Not hot enough to cause an automatic motor reflex of jerking your hand back, but it's warm. And you continue to talk. Then, influences, information outside the conscious mind is already going to the consciousness that may say something. Well, this is what it amounts to, of course, that I cannot stay like this very long. It may say something such as... Uh, the temperature on this piece of metal is such right now that if I don't watch it, I will, I will stay there, I'll leave my hand there, and it will gradually reach such a 
have such an effect on my hand that I can become blistered since it will be doing it gradually and me not realize it. So even though I have now leaned over here and struck kind of an interesting pose, uh, within a matter of seconds here, I should also gracefully straighten up, maybe pick up my hand and look at it like it was getting dirty or something. That sort of thing. That information at a non-conscious level is being fed to consciousness. And so there's no question about it. Everybody knows that. But here's what is not taken into consideration. Well, that's not even the point. Here's what I am pointing out to you. That, if you see what I mean, can change your whole perspective of what you're attempting to do. Give you a new way to go about it. At least every time you can think about it, you can try to take a new approach. And that is, even though perhaps many of you, if not most of you, are still not to the point that you absolutely, on a continual basis, realize that you don't really know anything about the mind. Or that you completely understand me saying that you can't. It's all a delusion. But even if you accept, you know, even if you cannot see it for yourself, if you go ahead and consider the fact, or consider my description, that everything running consciousness lies outside of consciousness. It's not a matter, as neurologist says, and obviously correctly so, that some things, things they can identify, many things, they point out that consciousness is being fed from many sources. What reaches consciousness is potentially being fed continually by, by all of our senses. In fact, that's the only information we actually have of anything is through our senses. And so it can point out that many, and in certain instances, most of the information that consciousness is receiving is from areas outside the cortex, outside of consciousness, I don't know whether, I don't guess, it doesn't matter if I was going to say, I don't know whether anyone would ever in the scientific community ever come to such a position of theorizing even, or just saying that obviously all of consciousness is fueled off-site. Whatever the machinery is that constitutes thinking in us, all of it is produced off-site. All of it. This is not the proof, but I can't resist pointing out that is, that explains why the mind can't understand itself. It can study itself forever. But the machinery responsible for what goes on in the mind all takes place outside the mind. Well, I guess according to your view at the moment, that's either a great setback in one's... <laughs> Or else, it's a great relief. <laughs> and you're like, well, you know, I have spent, you might say to yourself, I have spent now X number of years, as far as possible, totally devoted to studying my mind. And that's pointed out to me that it won't do you any good because everything you think you know is meaningless. And you might think, well, thank God, even if that's true, I don't see it that way right now. But if it is true then there's the explanation for it. I keep wondering, well, it doesn't matter, but I was going to say, if anybody, if ever that will become even an interesting 
a theory even taken seriously scientifically that all of consciousness. Another reason I was thinking again, since I almost said it a few minutes ago, I assume you all know there's a fairly long in the tooth now, but there was a, in our lifetime, was a pretty shocking theory that's accepted now as a working axiom, and that is that humans, some way down in the brain, are born with an intrinsic, some piece of intrinsic machinery for language. There was a shocking idea uh, whenever it came out first 20 or 25 years ago that language was not simply learned. And several people made an observation that once you think about it, you, it's one of those things, again, you think, well, humans have had 5,000 years, intelligent humans, and nobody noticed. Somebody pointed out, somebody that was interested, in, I think he was a linguist, surely, started observing children, was interested, how do children learn to talk? And, he, and it just suddenly struck him, after years and years and years and years, he said, that it suddenly struck him that a child just suddenly starts talking. You know, at first it's mama, dada, you know, that's simple shit. But then suddenly, almost beyond comprehension, as he pointed out, and when everybody else heard it, they went, you're right. That he pointed out that suddenly, it just begins to go in just these big old leaps. That suddenly a kid goes, just almost overnight, will go from dada, goo goo, to going, daddy home, daddy home. And then, like 24 hours later, the kid has put together a sentence using words that represent such abstractions that even an adult can't define them. They just don't think about it, such as, just within days, the kid says, daddy be home soon? What the hell does soon mean? You can look up a dictionary, but if you ever... If you investigate your mind the way that I try to encourage you, nobody knows what soon means. All right, you can say you that you know what it means. I can tell you this. Right, let me point this out to you. How can anybody comprehend as fast as they can talk and other people listen? If one person says to you, uh, okay, when I get out from work, I'll be on over to your house soon, assuming that uh, the buses don't run late. You go, yeah. You think you have any comprehension of what's going on? People that believe, even us mystics, or people who've been saying to mind, that one sentence, I'll be over to see you after work, I'll be over soon if the bus is not late. I'll be over soon, and you nod like, you know what that means? How can you hear somebody say, what is your mind picturing? What's your mind thinking? What does soon look like? I'll be over soon if the bus is not late. What does late mean? What's going on in your mind if the person the person says, I'll be able to see you soon if the bus is not late? you know what I mean? You go, sure, yeah. And you walk off like, all right, we reached an understanding. You said a, you expressed an idea, and I understood the idea exactly like you meant, that you'll be over soon after work. You know, if your car starts, the bus is not late. What does unless mean? Or if? If your car will start. I'll be able to see you soon if my car starts. Okay, yeah, you know, you got me? Yeah, okay. And you walk off satisfied. I'm not just being funny. Well, maybe you think us. I find that to be of great benefit, taking things like that. Now, I say be of benefit. It's just run yourself 
around and around until you can at least do better than a wooden horse. At least realize, Jesus, I'm getting dizzy. I'm not getting anywhere, but boy, am I getting dizzy. The person said, I'll be able to see you soon if my car will start. You go, okay. And they think, how many words? I don't know, 10 or 12 words. Do you understand the amount of information and abstraction in the real sense, verging on incomprehensibility? The person says, I'll be over to see you soon if my car starts. How do you picture soon? How, do you, how does the mind quantify, analyze, digest the word soon? And worse than that, in a sense, is if. If my car starts. But if you don't watch it, you go, well, everybody knows what that means. If my car starts, or if I feel like it, or if I don't get sick. What does if look like? How did anybody come up with the idea of if? Well, back to where I was, somebody realized that a child, and they finally came to the conclusion, I think, or statistically, that by the age of, I believe it was two years and ten months or something, that the average child, no matter what language they spoke, could process and speak themselves, could put together languages like, uh, if daddy comes home in time, can I have some cake? In other words, they have already reached the necessary level of sophistication with language by the age of three, and nobody taught it to them. And the idea that they were learning through imitation is absurdity. And suddenly, everybody looked at went, he's right. After 5,000 years. And the overwhelming belief throughout the world that children don't even learn language is children listen to what's said, and they imitate it. They have to learn syntax. They have to learn. They just suddenly do it. Back to where I was. That was just one example in our lifetime. That, and it's now accepted, we have those in the cognitive neuroscience is, if they're plural, even looking, literally, in the exploration of the brain as to where this innate, this piece of, this basic innate ability for language is in the brain. They already know where the main area is involved with speech. They know, they know where they can damage or that area can be damaged to the brain and you'll never speak again. But where they're even physically looking for an area where there is an innate propensity, an innate mechanism for language. But to say that's learned, they... Like I said, it's an accepted fact evidently now throughout the scientific community, from linguist to neurologist, that language is not learned. Does anybody understand, you remember why I even brought this up? And I was saying, I, sometimes I wonder, are they finally going to have so many pieces of information that somebody, just some ordinary, as we would say, sleeping, intelligent, professional Neurologists will say, you know what? We may be wasting our time looking for the basis of consciousness, looking for the mechanisms of the mind. No matter how we dissect the brain, no matter if we plot it down to the last millimeter, I wonder if somebody will finally say, it strikes me that it's not just pieces, not just aspects of consciousness, 
that is fed at certain times under certain conditions by parts of the nervous system, by parts of the brain, they'd probably say, that are not conscious. That it's not just that it's partially being fed at particular times and places, but that the whole machinery of consciousness, all of it at all times, is being run off-site, is being run outside the areas that we always considered to be the manifestation of consciousness. To put it crudely, as I say, you know, the frontal lobes, just to isolate it somewhere, that that seems to be where we're conscious. That all of it, that not one thing, if somebody speculates that not one thing having to do with the, the development, the support, the continuation, the manifestation of consciousness, not one piece of activity is going on in the cortex that supports consciousness. That all of it comes from off-site. It's all being shipped in. Uh, it would be astounding if it was ever said and gained much credence even momentarily. I can't really imagine anybody ever saying that. Their mind being able to do it, no ordinary person. I submit to you that if you look, and if you consider what I was saying tonight, and it by no means, as I assume you know, that I do not mean it pessimistically. Uh, nobody's wasted their time. Well, unless you consider you wasted your time being alive, but you know, <laughs> we can always fall back on this. Who amongst us? Acts to be here, that's always our way out, right? And then you stick your tongue out at the sun. But what I mean is, uh, I haven't you know, suddenly come to the conclusion that you wasted your time looking at the mind. I say that that's the only way that you would not have wasted your time. I say that you would have wasted your time if you'd been praying to gods and fasting and chanting and studying and trying to memorize books. I'd say that would have been a waste of time trying to have faith in somebody, trying to be a devotee of some guru, some other human. That is the waste of time as far as ever understanding anything. It's just a hobby. It's just distraction. I say that the only way that you could not have wasted your time would have been in the intense, and I always like to say relentless, never easing up, having no mercy. You got to. And then one day you think, Jesus, I could have been unrelentless all these years. But you had to be relentless, I say, from my experience, to ever get a grasp of it. Because if you feel like, well, I just half-heartedly tried to study my mind. And so and when he says that nobody really knows anything about their mind, I have to agree I mean, it's true with my case. I don't know about the rest of them. It's true about me, but hell, it doesn't really mean a lot because I didn't try near as hard as he probably thinks I did. Or I, didn't, I didn't devote as much time and effort to it as I should have. So that's why I say you should be relentless so that you think, by God, I gave it a better shot than anybody probably ever has, but now I'm willing to face up to it like a man. I have probably my humble opinion, done a better job of it, been more relentless, been more dedicated, and I'm not a complete moron. So I think that I have taken a reasonable and have been an intelligent and alert approach to it, 
And so now the time has come to face up to it. But you can only face up to it for just many seconds at a time. Because your mind just... But you just face up to the fact. And really, I'm not exaggerating. Because it's the way the mind works. You can only see this for a split second. And then it's gone. And of course, it certainly is easy for that split second to have no effect. For you to... <clears throat> shall we say, manage to overlook it. But just get a quick glimpse, just over and over, that I really haven't accomplished anything in the study of my mind. What I say I know, what anybody says they know that I've tried to listen to and look at, it's all vacuous. It's meaningless. It has no effect whatsoever. It's simply talk. It doesn't deserve any serious consideration. It's just talk. It's just the mind talking. But then, you can be cheered up that you can then console yourself or undertake to consider what I'm describing tonight. At least, you'll probably remember it as the time that finally hits you what I'm saying, that okay, but now I know why it's all been meaningless. It's like I've been standing here studying this factory that I call the mind. It turns out all of these thoughts, good thoughts, bad thoughts, thoughts I enjoy, thoughts I don't enjoy, a multitude, seems like an infinite number of thoughts. And I've studied them, I've tried to look at them in hot weather, cold weather, in the light, in the dark, from the front of the factory, from the back of the factory. And it's meant nothing. I know no more about how this operates and what's going on than I did when I started, but now I understand why. Everything that seems to be going on in the factory, which I only get passing glimpses of it anyway, it's always just catching the tail end of what was going on, that everything that's going on in there is being shipped in from somewhere else. So for me to look in there, and there seems to be activity, there seems to be machinery at work, there, there are thoughts in there, but the thoughts are being shipped in from off-site. All of them. If the mind did not have an outside supplier, I say the mind would not be in business. The mind is the dummy, and everything about your body that is not the mind, that is not consciousness, I say is the ventriloquist. Not just the brain stem, not just sun, one or two particular areas of the brain. And I'm right, by the way, without being a neuroscientist. If we, again, divide up everything into two parts, as we have to to talk, because to talk, you have to divide things into two parts, talk and silence. Or else talk doesn't make any sense. So, we have consciousness, and I say that everything in consciousness, everything in the mind, comes from somewhere else. But the mind is like a mirror. The mind is like a glass showcase. Things just run through there and people look at them, so to speak. They believe they think them. They believe they're listening to their own mind talk. But all the words, all the pictures, all the thoughts are being shipped in from somewhere else. So I say that the mind, as we call it, is nothing but a dummy in an act. And the ventriloquist, the one actually behind the act, we all know what the dummy is. Just a dummy. Just a mouthpiece. 
that the ventriloquist is the power. And I say that the ventriloquist is every other part of your body that is not a part of the conscious brain. Every other part. But thankfully, it's Friday, and the tape's almost over, that we don't have to go into the other part, which I, I raised it a step. I say that everyone's ventriloquist on another level is a dummy, and then all of life that is not you is a ventriloquist to your dummy. That is, is a ventriloquist to your apparent ventriloquist, which I say is a dummy anyway. Which, for those of you taking notes and understanding of this, or even taking no faith, at least you should have a good weekend because I have just relieved you from any possible burden of free will. So any of you who go out and violate marriage vows, any of you who are unchaste, who let the devil's brew cross your lips, or foreign kisses touch your lips, remember this. You don't have to stand for it anymore of someone saying, well, you didn't have to do it. I mean, you've got free will. You could have chose to do it or not do it to yourself as you lay there with that severe hangover, looking at that woman or man and thinking, who in the hell is this? <laughs> at least you don't have to feel, like, feel any form of self-accusation like, how could I do such a thing? Because you realize I didn't do that. You did not do it, but you didn't do that. No, no, no. Awakened, idiotic way, you can blithely just roll over and go back to sleep. Of course, this time I mean actually go to sleep there in bed and close your eyes. In closing, I was chuckling myself thinking that if you ask the other six billion people on this planet, what if it could be proven to your satisfaction that men have no such thing as freedom of will? Wouldn't that be, God, what would you pay if you could be convinced of that? The other six million people go, anything. Then there'd be a pause, assuming they were all really thoughtful. There'd be a pause and they'd go, uh, wait, you better let me think about that. They would. You think about it. Why would they, they go, yeah, boy, I'd pay anything. But it would be followed by, uh, you know, wait a minute, don't, don't hold me to that. I'm not, I don't know. How would that be? That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.